we're going to go we're going to go into this thing and this whole this whole idea this unexpected uh, series is a little bit unexpected considering it's at Christmas, right? And we're not talking about Christmassy stuff, although all the things we're talking about or all the people we're talking about are included in the Christmas story because it's included in the genealogy of Jesus. Um, there's no shepherds, there's no angels, there's no wise men to be found in these stories, um, but there is the story of the Savior and the need for the Savior. Um, and so last week we started off in Matthew 1 with Judah and Tamar, which was a story that got really weird really fast, uh, if you remember that. Um, but what it boils down to, where we, we wrapped it up last week, was that uh, for that story, for Judah and Tamar and, and those people to be included in the lineage of Jesus, it really just showed us, highlighted what a mess humanity is, right? As a whole, humanity is a mess. And it ties the story of the coming Savior to the need for a Savior. That's the significant part for me, right? It ties those two things together, that Jesus Christ is, is very real and was, very, and was needed in a very real way. And so, and so I love that, that whole idea. The, that's the bottom line. We're a mess. Jesus came to fix us, right? To make us new, to make us right. So that's what we talked about last week. And we're just going to keep on trucking with this thing. We're going to go on to the next name we find in the genealogy that makes us go, huh, that's unexpected. And we're going to go to verse 5 of Matthew 1 that says, uh, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. That's it. Rahab. That's the lady that we're talking about, Rahab. Now, Rahab, that, might, that may, name might be a little more familiar to you because we will talk all day long about where she comes into this story in, the, in Jericho, right? In the city of Jericho, in the fall of Jericho. Uh, we're talking about, we, we, we teach kids all day long about Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, right? Now, you tell me, first of all, why it's okay for us to use fit as the past tense of fight. I don't understand that, all right? Um, there is no other situation that that's okay. Um, we went outside and we fit a little bit. Um, but for some reason, it's okay when we talk about Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, right? Um, but this is, not about Jer- or this is not about Joshua. This is about Rahab. Rahab had a really significant role in the fall of Jericho uh, in, when you look at the Jewish, Jewish history there. So we're going to read from Joshua chapter 2. Um, and as we go there, remember Israel having been freed, he- the Hebrew people being freed from Egypt cross the Red Sea, come to the edge of the promised land, say, nope, we're scared. We don't like those people. We're going to go. They wander in the desert. They come back 40 years later to the edge of the promised land. They're on the edge of the Jordan River. They're looking across. There's a little bit of land, five miles, and there's the city of Jericho, right? So Jericho, the fortified walled city of Jericho is there five miles away. And Joshua is the leader of Israel. He's taken over after Moses. And Joshua says this. He takes two spies aside and he says this to them. He says, go View the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Well, that's an interesting choice, isn't it, gentlemen? Um, (laughs) It was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel uh, have come, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who have entered your house. For they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came, came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. 
I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly and you will overtake them. So the king of Jericho comes to Rahab, knowing that Israel is just across the land, hearing that there are spies that have come into this land, that they have gone to stay with Rahab, sends some men to Rahab and says, listen, send those guys our way because we know that they're spies and we need to know what they know so that we can then make a strategy, right? That's, that's what I see playing out here. Um, and, uh, and Rahab says, listen, they were here. I didn't know who they was, were, were. I sent them out. And, uh, and so even though Rahab has just really hidden them, right? So liar, liar, pants on fire is that way for Rahab. Um, but she hides these two Israel spies, Israelite spies on her roof under some flax, uh, which is like, I guess you can imagine it like, hey, pretty itchy stuff, but it's better than being found out as a spy. And after those two men, uh, or excuse me, after the men who are looking for these spies leave to go chase them down because Rahab lies and tell, sends them other ways, uh, Rahab goes back to these men and she explains her reasoning for sheltering them who were spies, these men who were spies. She shelters these spies. They were her enemies, Right? I mean, these were people who were coming in to see how best to destroy her and her people. And she chooses to shelter them. And she explains why when we pick it up in verse 8 of Joshua 2. She says this, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. And all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before, before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and to Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household. And give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us this land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So Rahab pleads for her, her father's family. She pleads for her and her father's family. She knows that this is going to happen, that there is no escape, that they've seen what has happened. Everybody in the town is terrified. They know these Israelites have no mercy. They're, they destroy everybody. When they come in, there is no mercy, and they destroy and get rid of everybody and, uh, because they know what happened in Egypt, and they know what happened to the two kings of Amorites when they were coming to the edge of the Jordan, um, and she knows, she says, listen, I know that we are just the next obstacle in your path as you take this land that's been promised to you. But since I've been kind to you and I've, I've hidden you, please spare my family. Please spare me and my father's family. And so the spies agree and they say, listen, if you'll keep this to yourself, if you'll keep our business to yourself and you tie a scarlet cord in your window, we won't touch anybody that is inside your house. Does that remind you of, of anything, tying a, a scarlet or having some scarlet, some red in a window, in a door? The children of Egypt, as they were, the, the whole Passover thing, the angel of death came over. And if they were inside the house, that's what the people of Israel say. They say, or these two spies, if you are inside the house and you have this scarlet cord, we will pass over you, right? It's a reminder of that. And so the spies uh, say this, she lets them out of her window because her house 
is in the wall or up against the wall, and they're able to escape that way. They don't have to go through the gate. She ties the cord there. She kept her end of the bargain. She, she stayed quiet. She didn't tell what was going on. And Israel then, too, they kept their end of the bargain. Because when we pick up the story a couple of chapters later in chapter 6 in Joshua, they take the city of Jericho by marching around it. And the scripture says this, verse 20. So the people shouted, and the priests blew their trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox, sheep, and donkey with the edge of the sword. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in, brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all of her relatives and placed them outside of the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron they put into that treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab, the harlot, and her father's household, and all she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So that's Rahab. That's the, that's the lady, that's the woman who is in this genealogy of Jesus. So let's ask the question, what's the deal with Rahab? Last week we asked, what's the deal with Tamar? Let's ask the question, what's the deal with Rahab? Why is this story, why is she highlighted in this genealogy? Well, I want to look at it in three different points, three different whatever, numbers, however you want to say it. Um, and we're going to ask these three questions. Who was she? What decision did she make? And who did she become? All right. Those are our three questions. Who was she? What decision did she make? And who did she become? So let's start with that first question. Who was Rahab? Rahab was a lot of things. There's a lot of ways to describe her. And honestly, most of those ways to describe her counter strikes against her, right? There's not a lot of good things that you could say about Rahab as she was in the city of Jericho. Um, she's a woman in a patriarchal society. That's already a strike against her, right? Um, it sounds like she was an unmarried woman because when she asked for her family to be saved, she says, my father's house, my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. She doesn't list a husband. She doesn't list any kids. She just says, I need you to save my father's family. So we'll assume that she's not married. And again, in a patriarchal society, an unmarried woman, that's a disadvantage, right? That's a strike against her in that way. The fact that she is unmarried probably either stems from or uh, contributes to her occupation, all right? She's a prostitute. She's a harlot. So that was her occupation. Let's go there. That was her occupation. It's how she made a living. It's how she got by. I had a conversation uh, with somebody this week, and I said, hey, we're going to be talking about Rahab. And he goes, oh, the whore. Yeah. Like, that's how she's known, right? That's the, the, the prostitute, Rahab. That's that woman, right? That's her. Um, but it's not just her occupation. When Rahab is referred to in Scripture, she comes with this as a title, right? It's not just Rahab. It's Rahab the harlot. It's Rahab the whore. It's Rahab the prostitute, depending on what version you read, right? That's how she is known, 
That's how people identify her. Oh, that woman, Rahab the prostitute. I don't know how common of a name Rahab was in Jericho, but to have that tag along with your name, and I don't know if that's how they knew her in Jericho, but that's how we know her, right? Rahab the prostitute. Yes, that was her job, but it was also her sin, right? It was part of her sin. It's more than saying Joe the accountant or Jill the therapist or Mary the manager, I don't know. When people say Rahab the prostitute, they're not just identifying that her occupation, they're, they're making a judgment about her and about her character and who she is, her morality, her spirituality. Immediately there's a judgment because that's her title, that's who she is, Rahab the prostitute, all right? She was a woman of ill repute, bad reputation. People knew what that was. So that was just part of who she was. Who was Rahab? Rahab was a Gentile, right? She was not a part of the children of God. She was not a member of the people of Israel. She was on the outside looking in. She was also a citizen of Jericho. That's where she made her home. That's why we're talking about this woman because she lived in Jericho. And listen, as a citizen of Jericho, she was an enemy of God. She stood in the way of what God had promised his people, his children. She was an enemy of God. And as a citizen of Jericho and an enemy of God, she was doomed. There was no escape. There was no way around this. She was, that was her fate. She believed that there was no hope for anyone who lived inside the walls of Jericho. And that was a shared opinion, kind of across the board in Jericho. We knew I mean, this is coming. There's, there is no way to escape this, right? We can't do anything. We could fight, but listen, we're all going down. We can come up with our ways. She and everyone else knew who lived there, knew that Israel was just a few miles away, and it was only a matter of time until it ended like it ended in Egypt and, and with the Amorites, wiped out. So who was Rahab? Rahab was doomed and afraid. She says when, when, uh, when they heard what happened in Egypt and, and to the Amorites, their hearts melted. There was no courage left, paralyzed by fear. When we list all these things about Rahab, about who she was, all I can think of when I, when I wrote this list and when I, when I read this list is that's exactly who we all are outside of Christ. We're all on the outside looking in. We're all identified by our sin. We're all dead in sin. We may not say it out loud, but people know it, right? And if people don't know it, then God does. That's who we are outside of Christ. We're all doomed as enemies of God. When you look at the scripture, Romans 5.10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through, his, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That says... Outside of being reconciled to God, we're enemies of God, just like Rahab was. An enemy of God with nothing to do but wait and be afraid of our coming fate. It was sealed. It was going to happen, and everybody knew it. Outside of the reconciliation with God, our fate is sealed. There is only death for those who are not reconciled to God. There's only death. That's who Rahab was, right? That's who Rahab was. But Rahab made a decision. What's the decision that Rahab made? 
what decision did she make? There's actually a couple of decisions that she made. Obviously, she decides to hide these men. She lies about their whereabouts. Essentially, she betrays her city and her people, right? She rats them out. She lets them get away. But those decisions came out of one other decision that I think she made. When you look at the text in verse 11, it says this. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. Here it is. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Here's where translation is important, okay? When I read this verse, my first inclination is to look at that word, your, right? The Lord, your God. My, my tendency is to lean really heavily on that and say, listen, she was, she was recognizing that, that this God was going to come wipe him out, but he was still their God. He wasn't their God or wasn't her God, right? She, that, that's my first tendency. But when you, when you dig into it, when you dig into it, there is no your there, Okay? There's no, it's, it's the same word. When you look at the Hebrew, the your is not there. It's simply assumed by the interpreter. So really, it could just as easily read, when we heard it, we heard of it, our hearts melted for the Lord God. He is God in heaven. In fact, in most other places, the interpretation is exactly that. It's the word Jehovah Elohim. It means Lord God. When Israel refers to their God and they say Lord God, that's the word they use. Lord God, it's his name, Jehovah Elohim. It just means God. there's no Lord. And that is how she refers to God. And that totally changes it for me. It totally changes how I see this. Because instead of saying the Lord, your God, who I'm recognizing and I'm submitting to, but I don't really have a choice, and so I'm just going to do this, she's now saying that the Lord God, the Lord God is in heaven. He is the God in heaven, and he is God on earth. Lord God. That's a recognition that God is the real God. And here's the decision that changes everything for Rahab. She recognizes that God is the only God who can save her. He, he is the only one who can do anything about this. And so she appeals to him through his people. It says, the Lord God is God in heaven. And making that recognition and changing her allegiances. She goes from being a citizen of Jericho. She changes her allegiances. She turns her back on Jericho, right? Because that's the only chance that she had. Rahab made that decision. She turned her back on Jericho. She could have ratted out those spies. She could have done it. Those spies could have been executed. They could have gotten rid of but that wouldn't have changed her fate. She decided, listen, I'm turning my back on Jericho because I'm trusting God, the Lord God, who is God in heaven and the earth below. That's the only way that I can live. That's the only way that I can have life because otherwise there is nothing but death waiting. That's what's ahead of me. There comes a time for each of us when we have to make a decision. Are we going to trust God to be the only path to life, or are we going to stand our ground, even in the face of destruction, and decide that we can do it ourselves? Rahab could have, could have stood her ground. She had that option. Her, her house was in the wall, right? Her house was attached to the wall. She knew how thick that wall was. She knew how strong that wall was. She could have looked at it and said, yeah, I know what happened to the Egyptians, and I know what happened to the Amorites, but they didn't have a wall like we do. We've got a wall. 
We can stand this thing. We can take this thing. We've got it figured out. But somehow Rahab knew that that city was not her future. She had no life there. It was only death. Maybe not right away, but that's what was waiting. That was the only outcome, aside from recognizing that the Lord God is God, and he could save her. So we can stand our ground, and we can believe that our human philosophies will bring us life or will save us. Or that, well, sure, God works, but he, he, it's, really, it's really just about karma. It's about doing more good than bad. It's about me making my own effort to make my own way and all that. Listen, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. But listen, anybody can come through him. You see that? Anybody It's only through Jesus, but he is available to everyone. There was nothing that Rahab could have done in that situation except to change her allegiance to God. But Rahab, the prostitute, the Gentile, the enemy of God, could do it, right? Anyone can be saved, and it's only by trusting that God's work in Jesus on the cross is enough that we can have life. Rahab saw that there was only death in front of her in Jericho, and the only way to find life was through the Lord God, and she made that decision. She said the Lord God is God in heaven. Romans 10, 8 says, but what, sh- but what does it say that the-, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that this, the word of faith, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Because Rahab believed God, she turned her back on what she knew in Jericho, and she sheltered the spies, and she was saved. She was saved. Because she recognized the Lord God, he is God. It's really interesting when you look at the New Testament and see where Rahab shows up again. Um, obviously, Matthew 1, we talk about that in her geneal- in genealogy, but her name shows up in a couple of other places in the New Testament, once in the book of Hebrews and once in the book of James. And if you look at the book of Hebrew and James, they're, they're kind of like these dueling books a little bit, all right? The authors are kind of like, well, I see, here's my way that I see it, and the other one says, well, here's my way that I see it, all right? And, and it comes down to this faith and works, this faith and deeds kind of an argument. Um, and, uh, and so people will often pit these scriptures against each other. Because here, here's how it, in, in Hebrews 11, here's what it says. It says, by faith, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. By faith, she didn't perish. But James, making this, I'll sh- you have your faith, but I'll show you my faith with my deeds kind of a thing going on. He says this, in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. They're taking the same woman and they're saying, here, by faith, she was saved. And James says, by works, she was made righteous, okay? So people will put these things against each other. And, and, the, and that's, that's kind of what the book of James ends up being for a lot of people. It's like, listen, you got to show me you're serious about your faith. That's what it ends up being. By faith, Hebrews says, Rahab was saved, and she did not perish. James says, no, it was her actions that saved her. 
People put them up against each other and they say, see, you, you can't just believe, you gotta do stuff too. So while you're doing stuff, you might as well do more stuff to be made righteous. But that's not really a good argument when you ask me. Rahab believed that the Lord God was God. She trusted that he was God. And because she trusted that he was God, she switched her allegiances. By switching her allegiances, it meant that she was acting on behalf of God out of the change that had happened, out of the decision that had been made. She trusted God first, right? And then some actions came. That word in James that that is interpreted justified, right? The harlot was justified by works. It can mean to be made right, but a second interpretation of that and, and other places where it's interpreted is to say as evidence of being made right. So it's not just the act of being right, it's also the evidence of having been made right. So her actions were not what justified her or what made her righteous, it was the fact that she had been justified by recognizing the Lord God is God. She switched allegiances, and then this was just evidence of that. This was just how she acted out of having made that decision, right? She made the decision here. It affected here in her heart, and then she did it with her feet. She walked out, right? That's the change. That's the evidence of the faith. Rahab made a decision to trust that God was God And he was her only path to life. We have to make that same decision if any of us have any hope of anything other than death. Trusting Jesus and his work for life. Rahab the prostitute made a decision that the Lord God was God. That there was no other one. And because she did, we get to see see who Rahab was. Because that's why she's in here. But we also get to see who Rahab became. So who did Rahab become? Think back, when we looked at who Rahab was, she was this Gentile, unmarried, prostitute, citizen of Jericho, uh, an enemy of God that was headed for destruction. What do we find in the genealogical record of Matthew? In the Jewish genealogical record of Jesus, it says that Rahab was the mother of Boaz by Salmon. Salmon had Boaz by Rahab. Do you realize what's wrapped up in that little statement? Number one, she lived. She had life. She was saved. She was rescued from the destruction in the rest of Jericho's, right? Number two, we can't say for 100% that she was married to, to Salmon because we don't really know that. We just know that she had a child by him. But Jewish tradition says, yes, they were married, and we're, we're going we're gonna to go with that, right? We're going to assume that. We believe that they did. And, and so she at least had one son in Boaz. So she wasn't an unmarried mother of no one. Now she's a married woman with a family of her own. Number three, she lived among the Israelites, according to the book of Joshua, it says, in their midst to this very day, right? She became a citizen of Israel. She became not an enemy of God, but a member of the family tree of the Jewish Messiah. Number four, and maybe the most telling thing that Matthew says, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Just Rahab. Not by Rahab the prostitute, but by Rahab. Rahab, the mother of Boaz. Rahab, 
the wife of Salmon, Rahab, the ancestor of Jesus. She's not defined and she's not labeled by that sin anymore. And there's no going back because Jericho is done. Jericho's destroyed. There is nothing left. Her house was where? In the wall. Guess what fell? The wall, right? The wall was destroyed. Joshua says that they burned Jericho to the ground, that everything was obliterated. It says even that he put a curse on it and said, if any, cursed is this ground and curses anybody who tries to rebuild this city. It's done. It's gone. She can't go back. She's not going back. That life didn't exist for Rahab anymore because she made a decision. So who had Rahab become? Rahab became a child of God. She became a member of the family, not born into the family, but adopted in because she made a decision and she recognizes that the Lord God was her only hope for salvation. She became the great-grandmother of David, king of Israel. She became the great, 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 I don't know how many times, grandmother of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior. Not Rahab the prostitute. <laughs> she just became Rahab. She was all of those things, just Rahab. And Rahab was on the other side of the cross. Rahab was on the other side of Jesus. She was under the new or the old covenant, right? She was under the old covenant. How much more for those of us who are under the new covenant of grace and not works and not performance? When we recognize that Jesus is Lord and that he is our only hope for salvation and we accept his gift of the forgiveness of sins and his gift of righteousness, that we're made right again, then we're the sons and the daughters of the king. We're made members of the family, not born into it, but adopted by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And when we recognize that Jesus is Lord and when we accept his gift of righteousness that we have, we have eternal life in relationship with our God. We're not identified, we're not labeled by our sin anymore. Not by God, not by God, it's done. Because like Romans 10 says, our belief results in the righteousness. Our belief results in being changed, in being made right, in being made new, in being made alive to life. Hebrews 8 says that Christ, in Christ, he remembers our sin no more. It's gone. It's not hanging over our head. It's not piling up at the end of our life for us to go through one by one, for him to wag his finger at us one by one. No, he said they're gone. Colossians 2, it says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the death, excuse me, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. It is done. It's remembered no more. The transgression, the sin, and the decree or the law that brought the dead upon us is nailed to the cross. It's done. It's done. For those of us who have made the decision, we have become something new. The label of sin is gone. There is death except for the life found in Jesus. And we all have that decision to make. That's why Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar was a testimony to the mess 
and the reason that Jesus came. Rahab is a testimony to the work of Jesus and the decision that we have to make about him. And it's just like we can look at who Rahab was, the decision she made, and who she became, so we can look at who we were or are, the decision that lies in front of us, and then who he makes us when we make that decision to recognize that Lord God is God, that Jesus is God, that Jesus paid the debt for us. When we believe in him with our heart, when we confess with our mouth, we're freed from it. That's the deal with Rahab. That's what I see with Rahab. Why don't y'all come on up to your feet? I think the testimony to Rahab is, is freedom from death, from destruction. It's freedom from the label of sin. It's freedom from being identified as sin. It's that he took, his, it took our sin upon him. He made him to be sin for us who knew, or for, uh, he made him who knew no sin to be our sin, right? He became sin on our behalf. There was an exchange that happened. He became sin, and we become righteous. That's the exchange. It's not just he became sin on our behalf so that we could muddle our way through. He became sin on our behalf so that we could be made righteous. And that's a decision. I don't know if anybody needs to make that decision this morning, but it's there in front of us for every single one of us. That If we've not made that decision, there is freedom from death, there is freedom from sin, there is freedom from the label of sin, there is freedom from the baggage of sin, there is freedom, and it's available this morning, and we would love to pray with you about that. We're going to sing a couple more songs, we're going to worship a little more, and this next song is who I am, or I am who he says I am, right? We're recognizing that if we're in Christ, we are who he says we are. We're not who everybody else calls us. We're not that anymore. We're something new. We're made new. And so I pray that if you've never experienced that, we want that for you this morning. So you can talk to our prayer team back there. They want to pray with you. They've got a lanyard on, and you can move at any time.